May it please the listeners. My name is Rich Schoenstein, and this is Law Brief. Let's say hello to Scott Markowitz, the co-chair of our bankruptcy and corporate restructuring practice. Hello. Hi, Rich. How's it going today? Good. Rainy day. A rainy New day. New York City. Well, I don't know if it's raining when you're listening to this, but it's raining when we're recording it. Scott is a guy with more than 30 years of experience as a bankruptcy lawyer. And I will tell you, Scott, my worst grade in law school was in bankruptcy. It's and it makes so much sense. Not that you did bad in bankruptcy, but bankruptcy makes so much sense. Well, that's what I'm going to find out. That's part of the purpose of having you here. We're going to talk a little bit about bankruptcy, some really fundamental bankruptcy issues, and then we're going to talk about a couple recent developments in the area of bankruptcy. So let's start at the very, I I think, the very basic thing uh, a lot of people who haven't been through bankruptcy ask. Is bankruptcy an end or a new beginning? Um, I view it as a new beginning. This goes back a long way, but the country is one of the few things that's in our Constitution. There's there's an article in the Constitution, Article 1, Section, I think, 6. I could be wrong about that. Don't quote me, but I should know that by heart. It says Congress shall make uniform laws of bankruptcy. And that was important because when the colonists came from England, there was a lot of repressive bankruptcy laws, debtors, prisons, things of that nature, that the founders thought that to give people a fresh start, so to speak, or the ability to for Congress to make uniform laws on bankruptcy was important enough to put it in the Constitution. That's interesting. So I view it that way. Yeah, that's interesting. We don't usually, or I don't usually, think of it as a constitutional right. We hear in terms of bankruptcy about two fundamental concepts, liquidation and reorganization. Can you tell us what they are and how they're distinguished? Sure. I mean, I think when people talk about liquidation, they're generally talking about a Chapter 7 bankruptcy, which primarily is is designed for individuals because the goal of the Chapter 7 bankruptcy, the ultimate goal, is to get what's called a discharge so that you're legally discharged from all your debts. But when you talk about a reorganization, you primarily think about businesses that file Chapter 11, but individuals who have more assets or more debts can sometimes file Chapter 11. You've heard of probably famous people who filed Chapter 11 in the past, entertainers. But a Chapter 11 primarily is designed for a business that can file a Chapter 11 and continue to operate its business and, so to speak, freeze all of its old debts and try to figure out a way to deal with those and try to fix the business and so that going forward, the company continued to operate as opposed to liquidate. And the idea of that would be it's better for the economy to have a company that can continue to operate as a going concern than having the whole company liquidate with okay. the loss of jobs and all that. All right. So and the chapters, these are chapters of the United States Bankruptcy Code. Correct. They, they refer to the, the parts of the United States law. Correct. And predominantly, bankruptcy is a creature of federal law, right? Correct. Unlike a lot of things that we do state by state, bankruptcy, going back to the Constitution, we have this national code. You have a national code, which applies in every state. Of course, they can be applied slightly differently. And there is certain state laws, such as exemptions, that may apply um, because the bankruptcy code, the federal bankruptcy laws, allow states to opt in or out 
of certain exemptions. Certain states, as you probably, the mainstream, you know, because Florida was one, it's always in the news, had certain better, more generous exemptions. Like, for example, Florida always had in, in their constitution unlimited homestead. So you always hear the stories about some wealthy person is in trouble in New York. They buy a house in Florida for cash, and they go down to Florida, file bankruptcy. That doesn't happen as much as it used to, but but state laws do apply to certain things like exemptions. Okay. Let's linger for a minute on liquidation. I heard you say it's predominantly for individuals, uh, but this is this is when somebody has debts they can no longer service, and they need to liquidate everything and presumably pay off as many creditors as possible and then start over. Correct. Okay. And one of the issues I gather that's come up in the liquidation context of late is student loans. That's true. All right. So you want to talk about that for a minute? What's happening with student loans? I can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, there's a big movement even in politics, you know, some of the candidates have been talking about and you've seen in the news about forgiving student loans. Sure. But the bank... The bankruptcy code was amended several years ago. Initially, the bankruptcy code did allow student loans to be discharged in bankruptcy. So then in the, I believe it was in the 80s, late 80s, there was a couple of examples where medical students who graduated from medical school with a ton of debt would get their first job and work for a year or two and then file Chapter 7 and discharge their student loans. So there was kind of like this general outcry about that in Congress, and they um, amended the bankruptcy code, I believe in the late 80s or early 90s, to make student loans non-dischargeable. And it's, and it's constantly gotten more difficult. And in the New York area, uh, there's a famous case called Bruner, B-R-U-N-E-R, it's a Second Circuit case, which has standards in order for a student loan. The only way the statute now says, the bankruptcy code itself, says a student loan is non-dischargeable unless you can show undue hardship. What is undue hardship? It's not so easy to define, but the Second Circuit in that famous case of Bruner came down with a three-part test, which essentially says that your loan is non-dischargeable unless you can demonstrate to the bankruptcy judge that, that you've made a good faith effort to repay the loan, that if you had to repay the loan, you, you couldn't maintain a minimal standard of living, and that circumstances are likely exist in the future, that things won't get better and you won't be able to pay the loan. So things are bad and they're not going to get any better. Is right. more and you've made bad. a good faith effort right. and you've cut your expenses to the bone, so to speak. Okay. So that's a pretty hard standard. Yeah. So when you're talking about, because I think we chatted about this for a couple minutes earlier, recently a bank, uh, the chief bankruptcy judge in the Southern District of New York, Judge Morris, wrote an opinion where she kind of distinguished Bruner, interpreted it arguably a little bit different than other courts have and allowed a student loan to be discharged when arguably the Bruner standards weren't satisfied. So now I don't know that maybe there'll be an appeal from that and who knows where that'll end up. The other thing that she did, which I think is interesting, is she implemented an order, um, a mandatory student loan mediation type program in the Southern District of New York. So if people file Chapter 7s who have student loans, they can go into this mediation program where the student loan creditors have to negotiate in good faith and see if they can work out a payment restructuring arrangement. All right. And all these changes to the way student loans are handled, you know, obviously we have a lot of money in this country tied up in student loans. It's important to the borrowers. It's important to the lenders. 
and it's important to you know some of the political candidates, as you mentioned. Right, right. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Let's uh, let's turn from that and and go now to reorganization for a minute. Uh, reorganization fundamentally would allow a company that can't meet its ongoing debts to reorganize. I guess get rid of some of those debts and go forward. Correct. Okay, and and what and what in general does a company have to do to get the protection of the bankruptcy court in that situation? Well, I mean, in, in the most general sense, is all the company has to do is come up with a filing fee, which is one thousand seven hundred seventeen dollars, file a petition with the bankruptcy court, which is a standard form. But a company has to hire a lawyer because corporations are not allowed to uh, be represented in federal court without a lawyer. Individuals can file, do their own pro se bankruptcy filings, but businesses, just like in any other federal court, are not allowed to, to represent themselves. So, and what do they have to? They they have to put together a plan. Yeah, they have to you come have to up come with up, something. Yeah, there's you you file a bankruptcy petition. The company, as a general rule, continues to operate in the ordinary course of business. The company does not need court approval to do ordinary course of business transactions. So if a company is in the re a restaurant business, files Chapter 11, it can continue to buy food from its vendors and pay its rent to its landlord and serve its customers. What happens is when you file Chapter 11, you get what's called an automatic stay, which is probably one of the most powerful provisions in any area of law. Because essentially is what it is. It's an injunction against almost everything. Stops all lawsuits pre-petition, stops all collection activity, it stops the IRS from collecting, stops New York State from collecting, say sales tax. It stops almost every type of collection action against the company without the traditional standards of meeting an injunction. You right. get basically an ex-party injunction against the world just by filing this bankruptcy petition with the bankruptcy court. Because and you're seeking the protection of the bankruptcy court, the court will tell the world, stop. Correct. Leave them alone until I get my arms around this and we see if we can help. Correct. Okay. I mean, there's certain exceptions, of course, just like in the other areas of law. Sure. Well, we're not going to get, in, and we're not gonna get yeah. into all of that here. Right, right. But let me, let me challenge you with this. I can see a lot of people thinking to themselves, how is this fair? How is it fair for a company who can't meet its debts going forward, who has borrowed money or purchased supplies or owes employees wages, how is it fair not to pay those, get the protection of a court, and continue in business? Well, that's a, it's a philosophical, interesting question. I would say that it's fair. The idea of the bankruptcy laws, is, I mean, traditionally and still today, is to give the honest debtor a fresh start or an opportunity. So... Many things can happen to a business that might affect the business that might not be the, the management's fault that caused the problem. I mean, you can think of examples. I mean, certain, let's say you, Trump administration issues a tariff on certain types of items, and now all of a sudden that, all of that business's type of item that it sells is way more expensive, and it's totally changed their operations. And there's all kinds of things that happen to businesses. So fair, the idea behind it is, whether you agree with it or not, is that it's better for the economy, if possible, to preserve the company in some way, shape, or form if it can fix its problem, 
post-bankruptcy. Because think of the bankruptcy filing as like a, a new day of the company. All the old debts are frozen, and now we have to fix the company. Right. If the company can't be fixed and it continues to lose money after the bankruptcy filing and it's hopeless, ultimately it will go out of business. But the idea is hopefully to fix it, figure out a way to maybe pay back some of that debt over time. Creditors get to vote for a plan. Creditors who are doing business with a company, if they're continuing to do business with a company, presumably you're getting some of their money back by still selling to the company and making a little bit of profit on what they sell to make up for some of the stuff they lost. So, so the ultimate idea, I would say, is that it's better to have the company survive, keep jobs intact, have the companies that are going concerned, then just liquidate the company. The employees have to go get a job somewhere else. The assets are sold more for scrap value than, than going concern value. I mean, so you're, you're hoping through a reorganization to enhance the total economic value to everybody involved. Exactly. Right. That's you are, what you're trying to do. Yeah. When you say it's better, you really mean it's better than the alternatives. Right. Okay. Of so. liquidation, which generally in most biz- industries, when you start selling you know, equipment or collecting out receivables or doing whatever it is to liquidate the company, you don't get a good recovery. Sure. Know? And I can see in reorganization, I mean, the first thing I guess is you're creating a possibility of the employees keeping their job, correct? receiving some of the f- wages that they're owed and continuing to work and make a living, whereas if you liquidate the company, everyone has to move on. Correct. Okay. I get that that's an advantage. And does the court look at all that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah. I mean, one of the things is, I mean, the Supreme Court has said this really t- many times, the bankruptcy court's a court of equity. Right. So, it, I mean, it's not a roving court to do justice just because the judge feels that it's the right thing to do. There is bankruptcy laws that they have to, you know, take into consideration. But it is it is a court of equity, and and the courts do look at those kind of things. Okay. And, and they also handle, I mean, the bankruptcy courts also handle adversary proceedings right. involving the debtor. So Lawsuits. Lawsuits. Stuff. So if, if the debtor is owed money, which happens sometimes, this right. might be another good thing about bankruptcy, right? You have a debtor sometimes who wouldn't otherwise have the resources to enforce its own rights to recover, and through the bankruptcy court has a mechanism to do that. Right. I mean, one of the good things about the bankruptcy court is the whole business is streamlined in front of one judge. Only one judge is assigned to the case. Judge gets to know the case and can deal with all aspects of things. And bankruptcy court should be relatively efficient and, and is in general. All right. So let me ask you, here's, here's one more really challenging question. <laughs> so sometimes we see bankruptcies, and I won't mention any names, where the ultimate owners of the business seem like they're pretty well off, seem like they have big buckets of money somewhere, and they are essentially saying, well, the company is bankrupt. I should go into court and get the court's protection of the company no matter how much money I, the ultimate owner, really have. What do you say about that situation? I think situation? that that does happen occasionally, um, but I think there's, there's less of that. I think it's just like other things you hear about in the news related to that where some wealthy person sells a house for $5 million in Long Island, runs down to Florida, buys a $5 million house and files bankruptcy and says, hey, guess what, I'm taking advantage of Florida you know, homestead laws. I think that those cases, they make the news sometimes because they seem 
uh, maybe a bit unfair, but I don't think that's the normal case because most of the time, you know, if somebody has enough money and they really want to keep a business like that, they'll figure out a way to cut a deal with creditors, fund it, can fund it out of court and not do a bankruptcy. But it, it does happen. I, I think what you one of the things that you raised before, and, and, and you do see much of this, is what they call single-asset real estate bankruptcy cases, which okay. exists. Okay, talk about, talk about yeah, that a little bit. which exists, and that's the case where somebody owns a small apartment building or a large apartment building, uh, another piece of property that has a mortgage on it, has not paid the mortgage in many years or, or for a long time, loses in state court, defends a mortgage foreclosure case, and then the day before the foreclosure sale is scheduled, they file a Chapter 11 for the entity that owns the real estate. And those are called what they call single-asset real estate cases because there's a definition in the bankruptcy code of any business that n- doesn't have any other business than collecting rents or managing the property. doesn't typically have employees and other things that a biz- an business... They're basically just a corporate barrier between the owners and the real estate. Correct. Right. Everybody, one of the greatest inventions probably ever invented in American law is you can pay $200 and form a corporation and you have limited liability. I mean, everyone figures out how to do that. Right. Right. And it is, and it is a fundamental part of American um, law, hundreds absolutely. of years old, and it's Correct. not changing anything. It's not changing. No. Okay. Yeah. So people know they buy it or they own it in an LLC or they own it in a corporation, and then they file that entity where, you know, maybe they're collecting rents every month, even a small apartment house, they're collecting ten or fifteen thousand a month, they're not paying their mortgage, and they file the chapter eleven to further delay the foreclosure sale because you get the automatic stay. You remember? So now you file the chapter eleven for the single asset real estate entity, and guess what? The foreclosure sale is canceled because of the automatic stay. So and then in some of those and in many of those situations, the property might be worth five million dollars and the lenders owe six million dollars. And are the courts permitting bankruptcies in those kind of situations? Well, there's special still? provisions of the bankruptcy code that deal with single asset real estate cases. Those were also rel- not that new anymore. Mid nineties, before the mid nineties, that they were treated like other bankruptcy cases. But because of the the real estate recession in the late eighties, and there was so many filings. They, they amended the bankruptcy code in the, in the mid-'90s. It's been amended a few times since then. But a, a, a single-asset real estate debtor <clears throat> only has a certain amount of time to file a plan or start making payments to the mortgage holder. I see. But they can work. And there's we've had numerous cases over the years where we've been able to either settle with the lender, sell the property in a more orderly sale than a foreclosure sale, or get refinancing. So they can definitely work, but you just – need to prosecute them quickly. All right. One more one more thing in this, I guess, sort of bankruptcy hodgepodge, I should call this. <laughs> bankruptcy the, hodgepodge. Yeah. The, the Small Business Reorganization Act of 2019. That's pretty current, 2019. Uh, that's what I'm saying. That's, <laughs> uh, that just happened. So that was a new federal law, if I understand it correctly, designed to streamline existing procedures for small businesses to pursue bankruptcy reorganization. Correct. Okay. And that law is so new that it hasn't even gone into effect yet. I think it goes into effect next week or the week after, sometime in February of 2020. I don't know the exact date. I want to say like February 17th. Or right. who, does, who does it cover? What, what's a small it, business? The definition, I believe, is under $2.7 million. Yeah. $2 million. I like this. It's, it's a business 
whose non-contingent debts do not exceed $2,725,625. That's correct. That's a very precise number. That, that, well, Congress has to pick a number. I don't Okay, and it has to be a and it has to be engaged in commercial business, yes, right? Yes. Yes. And and it's not a single asset real estate debtor. They it, are excluded. Right. They're excluded. This. What we were just talking about, the single asset real estate debtors have a separate section, separate provisions of the bankruptcy code. And so what's the point well, of the, the small point, business the, uh, reorganization? Wait, the general point, and it's really quite simple, is that there's a feeling over the last 10 to 15 years that smaller companies are not filing bankruptcy cases anymore because they've gotten too expensive. With legal fees and all the different things that have to be done under the bankruptcy code to, to get a company out of Chapter 11, you always hear about b- big Chapter 11 cases, right? Mega cases. Right. Purdue Pharma just filed Chapter 11 to deal with the opioid crisis. You know, that's a case where the fees are you know, $10 million a month for all the lawyers. But the smaller companies, those are challenging. So the idea behind this law was to make it much easier and less expensive. Whether it works, time will tell for a smaller company to expedite through the bankruptcy process. And they did a few things to do that. I mean, some of it's kind of technical, but they, they, got, they made it filing a plan much simpler. You don't need what's called a disclosure statement, which you need in bigger cases. Then, and another thing they did, which is very good in my view, is they got rid of a law that made it hard for companies to not pay back their creditors in full and the owners still maintain ownership of the company. We don't have to go into the technical legal niceties of it, but a basic theme of corporate law, again, going back a long way, is is that owners of companies' equity don't get anything until creditors get paid in full. When you liquidate a company, if you're a shareholder, whether it's a public company or a private company, creditors get paid before equity gets paid. That's just basic corporate law. They kind of gotten rid of that now, and they've they can allow a company to reorganize and come out of bankruptcy, pay its creditors less than the full amount it's owed, and let the owners still own the company. And why why do that? Well, I think because, again, it goes back to the same theory that if you have a company that's an honest debtor that made mistakes and, and got a bump in the road and can't really realistically pay back its creditors, and again, these are small business gate, so there's not any one person that's owed too much money, hopefully, it's $2.7 million for all the creditors, uh, that the company should be able to pay back maybe a third of those creditors over time and still the owners who are, know how to run the business and, in theory, have run it for a while before they got into this whatever bump in the road causes problems to keep the business and go forward. Right. And if you don't give the owners anything, they're disincentivized from Correct. carrying on. Right. Okay. All right. And I and I also understand that the procedures are relatively quick. The plan gets filed in 90 days. It tries to move along more briskly right. than your average bankruptcy Right, case. right. There's other provisions of it. It's, again, the law has not even gone technically into effect yet. We can kind of predict how some of the things will work because some of those kind of things have been implemented by judges anyway in smaller business cases over the years. This isn't the first time that the bankruptcy code has tried to deal with small business cases, but this is the first time they have their really their own special procedure. The other thing to keep in mind is that you you, you have to elect. If you're if you're a business and you have two point five million of debt and you don't want to elect the small business thing, you don't have to. It doesn't make it doesn't make you, but okay. it might make sense. All right. Excellent. Could you 
tell us a little bit about your practice. Uh, I mean, I think we've just heard some of it, but what do you work on mostly, Dave? Well, our practice is all bankruptcy-related debtor-creditor. We represent um, companies that go, go into Chapter 11. We represent individuals in Chapter 7 cases. We represent businesses who buy assets from businesses in Chapter 11. There's a section of the Bankruptcy Code called Section 363, which is a section that said a debtor, bankrupt company, can sell its assets. So oftentimes, companies in bankruptcy do sell assets. So we'll represent asset acquirers who want to purchase an asset from a bankrupt company, a company in Chapter 11. We also have um, one of the attorneys in our office is a Chapter 7 trustee, panel trustee. So she gets appointed in Chapter 7 cases in New York and in the Bronx. And we'll represent her as a trustee. So we do trustee work also. Okay. So full service. Full service. We represent landlords. Landlords. Great. Yeah. A little Great. bit of everything. We, uh, you watch a little bit of uh, college football in between? <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> Scott, is a, uh, Scott is a Florida Gator yep. alumni and fan. Undergrad and law school. Yes. And Seven I'm, years of and I'm a, orange and blue. I'm a well-known Ohio State Buckeye alum and fan. And so Scott likes to remind me about the 2007 National Championship when Back when Urban Meyer was on the wrong side of the sideline, <laughs> and they had that basketball too. They beat they beat you guys, and we beat you in basketball. Yeah, well, the got... basketball one doesn't sting as much. We were <laughs> we were we were feeling pretty fortunate to be in the final four. Yeah. The football ones are always yeah, but you guys have been awesome the last few years. Yes, you know, right, a little bit of a run. Yeah. Okay, we like to wind up these episodes with a closing argument. Is there any kind of takeaway you have for the listeners, either on bankruptcy uh, as a concept or on any of these recent developments? I think the takeaway is is that bankruptcy is not necess- is not a stigma. Bankruptcy is a tool that can be used uh, that can be very beneficial. I also think for individuals, you will not find a court. I think the bankruptcy courts that where I practice regularly, the Southern District and the Eastern District, treat individual debtors, whether they're represented by counsel or pro se, with utmost respect. And I think that the bankruptcy judges go out of their way to implement what they're there for. And I think that if anybody has the experience of dealing with a bankruptcy judge, bankruptcy courts, I think that as a general rule, they'll come, come, come out thinking – Maybe they didn't get the perfect result they wanted, they, they hoped for, but that they were treated with a fair shake and with respect. And that bankruptcy is, is an option that can help you if you can't pay back your debts or if you have a business, whether it's small or medium. This, I don't think this is for mega companies, but small or medium companies. And there's tools that can be used that can help solve problems. All right. A potential solution and uh – and something that is maybe the start of a new chapter and <laughs> not something you have to carry with you your whole life. Correct. All right. Scott Markowitz, co-chair of our Bankruptcy and Restructuring Group, thanks very much for coming on with me. All right. Thanks for having me, Richard. Thank you again for listening to Law Brief. Now here's something lawyerly, a disclaimer. 
We are not your lawyers. We do not have an attorney-client relationship, and this podcast does not constitute legal advice. If you need legal advice, you should contact and engage counsel of your own choosing who can best address your own situation and particular needs. You can find more information about our law firm, me, and many of our guests at our website, www.tartarkrinsky.com. We are a mid-size, full-service firm located in New York City and New Jersey. If you want to contact us for any reason, be it comments, topic ideas, or anything else, you can email us at podcast at tartarkrinsky.com. You can also follow this podcast on iTunes, among other places, and we would very much appreciate it if you rate or review us. I'm Rich Schoenstein, and this was Law Brief.